Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, thanking you for joining us today. Because today we are going to be talking to the public artist, Jennifer Hoyt Tidwell. She is the selected public artist for the Bridge PAI 2016. She'll tell you all about that. She's also a Charlottesville performing artist, perhaps best known for her collaborative work with the Theater Company Performers Exchange Project, that's PEP, P-E-P, which co-produced in 2006 a Charlottesville Wunderkammer. Jennifer Hoyt Tidwell, how are you today? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? I'm great, too. Did I pronounce everything correctly, including your name? You did. Okay. Yes, <laughs> well, let's start out with uh, what the bridge is and what does PAI stand for, anyway? The bridge, PAI, is Progressive Arts Initiative, and the bridge supports emerging artists and work with the community to introduce the arts to underserved populations and just sort of to connect artists with other artists and, and communities. So progressive uh, can have a political as well as theatrical meaning or interpretation in uh, this in, in the bridge mission. Is that it? I think that I think that's correct. I mean, I am not. Although I'm the public artist, I am not actually a. You know, I'm not an employee of the bridge. I'm not the director, so I I'm not sure how that's interpreted at the moment. Okay, well, as an all art, it it's in the eye of the beholder, I guess. But uh, uh, so then let's get to you're not an employee, but you have been appointed, you have been selected, you've chosen as the. Um, yeah. Okay, tell us about that process, the public artist of 2016. Um, I was very lucky to be selected uh, starting in September 2015 as the first annual public artist. There had been sort of a pilot program prior to that where a couple of public artists had had um, three-month stints or six-month stints. Uh-huh. But um, I had, because 
of my work with things like claw and wow you wait, which was working with the bridge, I was extremely uh, excited to be selected for this work, which allowed me to take on um, and execute a much larger scale project uh, mm-hmm. and to be supported financially to do that. So I was selected as the public artist by the bridge in, 2000, in September of 2015, and I am their first annual public artist. There will be another one selected for September of this year. Mm-hmm. And I had a pre-existing relationship with the bridge that I think sort of led to this. I have been, I was on the advisory board 10 years ago. I uh, have done a lot of public art. Um, I started Assembly, which with my friend Sean Richards from PEP, uh, which was in a, a gathering of artists through the salon that was monthly, and we talked about process and helping each other, networking, and that sort of thing. And I think based on a lot of conversations with Matthew, mm-hmm. he and the bridge saw me as sort of a, a good pairing for this project because I am a local artist, because I have an interest in making accessible projects and involving mm-hmm. the public, allowing them to take part in something that's not, that's professional, but not kind of isolated in a theater. Yes. Uh-huh. So that, that sort of brings us to where you have done a lot of work with the Ix Art Park and at the Ix Building, for instance, in 2007, uh, the Shentai. Was what was that? Yes. Right. That's a made up word. Oh, okay. Uh, I, that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel so badly then. <laughs> uh, no, I decided I want to invent a word that meant strange appearance followed by strange disappearance. Oh. Um... And uh, I, I told people that it was an Atlantean word from the velocity of Atlantis. Uh huh, yes. Uh, but anyway, both Wunderkammer and Shentai were co produced by Zen Monkey Project and Performers Exchange Project. It, it was not the East Art Park at that point. It was the sort of abandoned textile factory. Yes. And it was a beautiful ruin, basically. But the building became unsafe and they had to take it down. You know, I remember that building when I first came to Charlottesville. I, I've always ran around with my camera and the back roads in particular, but I happened upon, as you said, it wasn't really a park. There, There is a, the TV station was over there, and but it, nothing like it is now existed. And this old brick, hallowed out practically, textile factory, I didn't know what it was at the time, but I have photographs of it. And really, it was a fascinating flashback, if you will, to what was and I hate to see old buildings go, but this one certainly had had served its time well and has been replaced more or less by the X building, right? Well, I think that the, 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 what was left has been developed with uh, you know, into the art park. Uh-huh. There's indoor space that didn't that wasn't developed before down on the ground level. Yes, but you know they they lost a lot of space that happened, and, and they had the whole. The complex that was completely renovated uh, on the other side of the TV station is there are a lot of businesses and organizations there right now. Yes. They're going to continue. My understanding is they're going to continue to develop it. Mm-hmm. Now, I do want to say that it, it's sort of sad that Charlottesville and all of its successful development, economically successful development, has lost all of that empty warehouse space that we had that yes. my theater company and my previous theater company and a lot of artists had 
taking advantage of being allowed to use those spaces and really create unusual and magical events. You uh, know, they weren't sort of conventional projects. I agree, and that's been that's been sort of your mantra. You are, uh, as you said, it, you're not not a person who's who's focused on creating imaginative theater within a building so much as within the community to bring the community and to get the community involved as well. How does that fit with? Um, in two thousand eight, you you co-founded the Charlottesville Lady Arm Wrestlers, uh, Claw, as you referred to. How did that project come about, and how does it fit into your overall mission in, in theater? Well, I, I, I would say that I haven't been really aware of any kind of line in the work I've done, but when I look back, I kind of am. Um, after doing, being part of creating a few carnivals in the Ix, I, I was so burned out that I didn't think I could carry out another one mm-hmm. the next year. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of in a, I guess, a a short-term fallow appearance. <laughs> um, and, and then Claw sort of started as a joke between me and a a friend who's not actually in the theater, uh-huh. Jody Plaisant. And as I often do, I, there's, there's always a bit of truth or creativity in jokes mm-hmm. and pretending that something is real. And so we, we had arm wrestled and she kept losing and she was like okay we're gonna lift weights and i'm gonna beat you someday and we just sort of started making up these personas and at the gym and telling everybody around us that we had to league and <laughs> we became aware that people were actually really really excited about <laughs> league we made up so i started going wait a minute we need to do this and i started talking to people about it which is how i i typically do stuff is that i and I think this is a bit of an extrovert thing. I I tell people something's happening long before I know anything about it, really. Mm. I just sort of make up a story, <laughs> and I, I guess you'd say it's lying. Uh, no, just I'll sort of... It's going to be like this. Floating a balloon. <laughs> it sounds yeah, great. I mean, it's a storytelling thing. Like, yes. And seeing who's interested, and, and then that kind of gives me a little bit of confidence to carry something forward. Although, a lot of what I do actually... And I'm not shooting my horn. I, but a lot of what I do, I can't really explain. And so there's a certain aspect of bringing it into existence by continuing to tell a story over and over again until I understand more and more details, or I get people involved to help me refine and, and kind of identify what it is, mm. what the vision is. So you say this is sort of your MO for um, all of your playwriting. We should mention you are an accomplished playwright. And and I've been told you're called the instigator of a host of other creative projects, many of which we'll talk about today. But is, is this sort of your M.O. for playwriting? This is how it starts for you? Playwriting has been for me, up until recently, where I have been um, working on an MFA program at Holland. I have, have done playwriting in combination with PEP, and it's much more, it's been more of a collaborative process. So uh-huh. we kind of, um, somebody instigates the idea and we work together to create what it is and then I will write text supportively. In certain cases, actually, when, when we did Shentai, I had written a draft of text and then gave it over to the director who then developed it and reordered it and stuff. Mm. So, you know, it, it really has changed every time and no way is different in that I wrote it by myself and then decided when I got the public artist gig that I would turn it into a much more 
epic scale silent piece. Mm -hmm. And I worked with my friend Martha from Tuck to translate it, sort of adapt it into an action-only script. And that was a very interesting process. Wow. And it changes even more. Working with the actors who are building the, the scenes and the material, I'm responsive to that as well. So, so I'll give them an assignment. So it, it's very much like dance where I'll say, okay, it needs to have all these different aspects. Mm-hmm. You have 30 minutes, and then we come back and look at what they made and, and refine it and clarify some of the narrative aspects. Because I am trying to ground this in a story, even though it's, it's very fantastical. It, it actually does have a narrative arc, which uh-huh. not everything I do does. But uh-huh. I really want this to be accessible to anyone from nine and nine and older. Uh-huh. It's not a children's play, but but I think these sorts of queer stories do resonate with the majority of people. You know, it's mm-hmm. not it's not the people that necessarily seek out experimental theater. Gotcha. You know, you are. It's often been said that a great work starts with a great title, and you certainly are a master of coming up with unique titles. Is there a hidden meaning or even a less obvious meaning to the title No Wake? Just for uh, our audience, that's N O W A K E, two words, No Wake. I know it's a multimedia performance piece, but what, what should we learn from the title, or is it that for us to decide? Yes. Say, and you're right. <laughs> so no wake is, is a double entendre, at least a double entendre. It comes from the sign that says no wake that's in the water. Yes. Close to a shore. And in the story, there's a widow who's lost her husband and is so shaken by what happened that she can't tell anyone and she can't conduct a wake or a funeral for him. Ah. And mm-hmm. and then she and her daughter are washed out to sea after a storm, and the ocean is dead calm. Mm. So there is no wake. Yes. Uh, whereas before, when they lived on the shore, the daughter was constantly screaming out to people, no wake, no wake, you're going to hurt us, you're getting oil near us. And I, I actually grew up next to a no wake sign. So, no wake, it's a multimedia performance piece, Oh, and by the way, it opens March 17th at 7 p.m. at the Ix Art Park and runs Thursdays through Saturdays until April 16th. So we open March 17th. Tell me, you have mentioned uh, making your art, your work accessible to the public age nine and above. It's not a children's piece, but it is a community provocation, if you will, to be involved and it involves, it uses all of the art disciplines, dance, film, theater, etc. Tell us, how do you find the talent? Do you go through the traditional, because not much sounds traditional about you, if you don't mind my saying, but do you go through the, (laughs) and I mean that as a compliment, of course, do you go through the traditional talent search auditions, or how do you, how do you get your cast from 9 to 90 from the community? This is actually the first time that I have worked for, for well, maybe ever. I'm trying to think. I've always worked within an ensemble where we, it, you know, it's a little bit insular. We're, we're writing, directing, uh, and uh-huh. performing, and we don't have auditions. We just figure out who's doing what, and we yes. base everything on the number of people we have. And for this piece, for a variety of reasons, having to do with scheduling and interest, it became clear also the 
a number of people that I needed for this piece. It became clear that we needed to expand. My colleagues and I, um, even though this is my residency, I've, I've, as I mentioned, I have worked with Martha on the script, and my another fellow tester, Sean Richards, has been very instrumental in the rehearsal process. Mm-hmm. Coaching the actors in the way that we make theater. So we were able to split up. We have a very nice rehearsal studio. It's actually two rooms, two studios. And she'll take some of the actors off to refine some stuff we made while I build new material. And I think it, it helps us to be fairly efficient, but also it's a really interesting and new process for us to, to teach the way that we work uh-huh. to a, a new group of people. And I found the people we have, they were either people I saw perform in the community that I thought were seemed well-suited, seemed to be physically aware performers, and I invited them to audition, and the audition was not traditional audition. There was no reading of, there's no cold reading, no no prepared audition. Uh Basically, we asked them to learn some bits of choreography and to apply different treatments and just observe how people took that in and interpreted it, and then sort of looked at the chemistry between groups of people and and came up with a fantastic cast. It was very, very open and brave about this very physical way of working. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're building, they're basically, it's, it's three or four hours of dance four nights a week. Mm. So they're, they're exhausted usually by the time we're done every day. Sure. It's that happy exhaustion <laughs> when you know you've yeah. done, no, you know, you're so. energized and, and fatigued. <laughs> you should ask them, actually. I mean, my, my take is, you know, they come away exhilarated, and the other time they probably want to punch me in the face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's an interesting. I guess that's actually that's sort of life, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So we're going to take a short break in a second, and when I come back, I'd like to talk a bit about. Uh, we've alluded to it how how we met and where we met when I first uh, I think I first met you at the bridge and that organization and you know you've alluded to working within that ensemble and how that has sort of sent you in out into the community even more that is uh, reaching and working with a larger number of people but before we go let's remind everyone the play we're talking about now this multimedia performance piece bit more than a play, if I can say, opens March 17th at 7 p.m. at the Ix Art Park in Charlottesville, Virginia. It will run Thursdays through Saturdays until April 16th. It involves dance, film, theater. Oh, yes, and we want to talk about the messages in the bottles. That... Yeah, we've got three or four other subsidiary or ancillary projects that I want yes, to talk about. Yes, yes. All right, we're going to take a short break. Please stay with us. We are talking to... Jennifer Hoyt Tidwell, who is the 2016 public artist at the Bridge Progressive Arts Initiative 2016. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. In the not-too-distant past, writing a novel about a same-sex love affair was so controversial it had to be published under a pseudonym. That was the case with Patricia Highsmith when she first published The Price of Salt in the Dark Ages of 1952. 
Carol is the film based upon this novel. It opens with a softly lit shot of two women having drinks together in a convivial New York bar. A man interrupts. One of the women leaves with him, her hand lingering for a meaningful instant on the shoulder of her friend. We cannot know the heated turmoil flowing just below the surface, and we wonder at the melodrama with which the shot was composed. Then, we are enveloped into the story of their forbidden love. When we later return to the bar scene, we understand it fully, having been immersed within a world of blossoming love and the horrific sacrifice that was its price. Thankfully, we now live in an age in which Carol is not judged as some sordid exotic exploitation, but rather celebrated as a sensitive exploration of the cruelty of intolerance. At Cannes, its birth was greeted with a powerful standing O. Carol. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Find us on the web at IndieFilmMinute.com. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today is accomplished playwright and producer Jennifer Hoyt Tidwell, who is the public artist 2016 for the Bridge Progressive Artistic Initiative. Jennifer and I, when when we left the last segment, when we closed out, we talked about at least one of the first ways that we think we met. It's been some time ago now, but... I was so impressed with the ensemble group of many different artistic disciplines and artists who Jennifer had pulled together at the bridge, coincidentally, where people, photographers, playwrights, uh, composers, you know, everything you can imagine that was artistic, filmmakers would bring their work and share with the, with other artists of other disciplines for a, a really... Um, a gathering of, uh, of of great artistic minds and creativity, imagination, all of that. Anyway, for great supportive feedback on how to go forward with their various projects. So uh, Jennifer and I agree that, that that's sort of, uh, it's like a prequel to what she's doing now. It's all very connected as she is. So Jennifer, talk to us about that and how that brings us to what you're doing now. Well, Assembly was an experiment in connecting as many artists as we could gather at the bridge to talk about our processes. I was very curious in hearing how other artists, particularly ones who work more solo, uh-huh. make their work. And we asked some of them actually to demonstrate that process. We had a singer-songwriter make a song in front of us, yes. type out the words. We had Edward Thomas, who's a painter, a painter, brought out his big backpack of all his materials, talked about how do you prepare to go out painting all day? Oh, yes. I remember that, yes. And, yeah, so, I mean, I was already a collaborative artist, so wasn't, that part wasn't new, but it enabled me to get to know people more through their work. And I think for us to feel like the people making original work in town were united. Okay, and now I, I would say... Um... It has uh, broadened. The reach is simply further, but the concept is still the same. Your collaborative POV, your collaborative MO, it's the way you work, yeah. and, and and that continues on a larger scale or broader scale. No Wake mm-hmm. is a local professional artist's reaching out to community and children with 
performing arts, dance, film, theater, and something called Messages in Bottles. It's a, that's an installation, an artistic installation. But tell us about that. I was fascinated when I first read about that. Well, so the play was sort of the first cornerstone, if you will, of the whole public artist thing. I, I had this play that had turned into a silent piece, and I had these relationships with other artists. And then I became aware that I mean, we were going to be in this neighborhood that's surrounded by other residential areas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's such an interesting location in Charlottesville because you know, the public housing, but then this really expensive real estate and everything's about to change. Uh-huh. And it's a little scary, I think, for people who live there, but also for those of us who care about Charlottesville exploding into development. Yes. And so that made me think about this dance piece that's happening around the, the, the location of the play, creating a, a large-scale dance piece with 32 girls that are the same age as the protagonist in the play, basically around 11. Mm-hmm. And they're carrying out the themes of the play into the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And how that works is you basically just put out a call for anybody who's interested. Kids do not have to have dance experience. The choreographer... I'm working with is, is very experienced and uh, interested in, in creating a, a unison piece that's also got structured improv that the kids are choreographing and uh, moving to the community. And because we're moving past, well, not because, but the, the, the professional is going past friendship court, so I reached out to them and also put the call out for dancers live there and we, uh-huh. we now refer to the friendship court community center and i just felt that it was important if we're going to do in front of that neighborhood or, or that complex uh-huh. you know we really needed to connect with them and and we you know we tried connecting actually with all kinds of people around that neighborhood mm-hmm. but this has been really great i think i mean it, we've got kids from pretty much every background from all the different schools united and it, it's an interesting process so that that was that's one of the projects, and then the more I thought about it, how do I break it? Like, how do I involve even more kids that can amplify their voices? And because messages in a bottle are part of the play, uh-huh. I thought it would be beautiful. Even though we're using plastic water bottles in the play, because we have to use plastic, obviously, yes. um, we can't throw around glass. But I thought it would not be beautiful to have kids write messages, anonymous messages, mm-hmm. and, and sort of create the bottle as a sculptural object, and and then put it throughout town, and and give people an opportunity to hear from kids. Yes, and this is a very pivotal time of life for, for children who are looking back. A lot of them with some nostalgia, some strong feelings about leaving childhood and you know, being in transition and then looking at adults and looking at the world around them. I see, I see that age as, as being truly really fascinating. Hmm. And, I mean, it helps that I have a child that age. I, I think I used to be scared of sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> now I actually, you know, actually a lot of, oh, I was afraid to teach any kids around that age. I thought they were going to attack me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, literally. <laughs> you know, it's like disdain or something. Yeah. Juvenile Detention Center, and mm-hmm. they were the first group of kids that 
that I did a workshop with. Oh, wow. And it was just, it, yeah, it was a beautiful experience. And we didn't have a lot of kids. It was six boys, um, teenage boys. But they took to it really quickly. I, I've been concerned with teenagers that, especially, well, I, I just had sort of preconceived notions of how it would go. But there would either be no interest or they would do it really quickly and not take it that seriously. But I have been completely wrong. Mm. And they worked really hard. This is a long workshop. It's three hours. And they each wow. designed the bottle in advance for the most part. And they and they just the messages, they responded to prompts I gave them about childhood, nature, and race. Mm-hmm. And the environment. Yeah, I said nature. So I said, you can respond to these or you can ask questions of a stranger who's going to receive your bottle. Mm-hmm. And they just, it was just a really beautiful combination of those things. Those bottles are going to be installed downtown March yeah. 7th mm-hmm. uh, for a month. And people can actually t- take a map that we're going to have available at the various businesses and can go see them all. Oh, wow. And we're also, we're also allowing people to purchase them with twenty percent of the proceeds going towards the city school's art program and the rest going towards funding these sorts of workshops through the bridge. Um, my time to, to host the workshops and provide materials and, and all that sort of thing. Well so you, that's been a, a blast. Yes, I can imagine. And it, I mean you're reaching every uh, every possible corner of uh, our society children, adults, uh, the detention center, teachers, students. Uh, I guess it kind of comes to you're definitely fulfilling what I understand the the bridge program, the public artist program. It's going to be and starting with you an annual artist in residence program. But the the program actually seeks to provide financial, logistical, and organizational support for an artist to make a piece that directly impacts the Charlottesville community through its production and presentation. I'm pretty certain I'm almost quoting that. I'm, but if I'm paraphrasing, I apologize. Okay, good. So you definitely are fulfilling that commitment, and knowing you, even as as little as I've seen you lately, I know that they pick the right person. They they know what you do and what you're about, and your artistic core, if you will. So you have come up with no wake. I guess perhaps because it blends the work of professional artists and uh, and I presume you even pay, yes? Did you tell me yeah, that? Yeah, that's uh, something I'm really proud of. Yes. Is that the artists that are involved, including the child dancers, are all being paid a stipend. And the children are really, I mean, that, that has been a great thing for them, I think. Yes. Motivating. And it's, it's giving them, I think, the confidence of, okay, you're a professional dancer. You have to show up. Can only yes. miss a couple of rehearsals, and you can call. I think it helps them take it more seriously somehow. Yes. They, they, and they're proud of it. it. It sort of makes them more responsible. You know, I agree. Even a stipend, I think it does exactly what you're saying. It it gives the person this is a, a responsibility now. You need to show up. You need be on time. You need to do what's expected of you. But it also gives the artist a, a sense of not just pride uh, that someone puts a value on your contribution, your life, your talent, etc. But a a, um, a I think a sense of um, this is important. What do you think about that? What I just said. <laughs> 
mostly talking about the kids when I talk about responsibility and motivation. Mm-hmm. I think with the artists that I'm working with, and I'm working with, gosh, 15 to 20 professional artists, yes. um, that was more about, well, first of all, I, I don't tend to do projects that don't compensate artists. Mm-hmm. I mean, Claw and While You Wait were intentionally volunteers, but theater projects, I always make sure, and my theater company makes sure to build in funding for that. Uh, so that's, that's sort of just uh, my MO, but but also these are a lot of these people are artists, individual artists in their own right, who are taking out a huge chunk of their time yes. to make something truly amazing. And and one of the things that I have asked of everybody is that they participate only if they feel like it's stretching their own work and mm-hmm. that they're able to kind of experiment with what they do in a, in a, in a collaborative way. So, for instance, Allison Melder Taylor and Jeremy Taylor are visual artists, they're painters, and mm-hmm. they do some textile work, but for the most part, they're painters. Mm-hmm. And their paintings were so beautiful and strange and incorporated sea imagery, like internal space presented as sea imagery. I thought, oh my gosh, this is perfect. I want something magical like this. And asked them if they would be willing to translate this into costumes. And mm. then we could eventually have a fashion show with both of these things. Wow. And mm-hmm. so that process is different from regular theater costuming. I mean, they're busting their butts to make these amazing, completely hand-made costumes that are referencing their work in a three-dimensional way. And I think, actually, I mean, there are plenty of costume designers that I would definitely call artists. This is a unique process because they're not used to doing this, but I think it, it, they're investigating it even more thoroughly. It can't be a temporary thing they're doing. They're making this amazing mask. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just different than my theater work working with theater artists. These, mm. are, these are artists from different... Yes, yes. Which is, again, uh, w- one of the things I admired most about your work and, and knowing you as an artist, that that that's, that's your reach. What, what about the mm-hmm. dance installation features? Uh, you, you've got a brigade of young dancers and water bearers mm-hmm. and 30 middle yeah, eight. <laughs> yes, and the, uh-huh. t- tell us about those. Well, that's, those are the kids that I was talking about are, are going to be processing around the entire neighborhood around the complex uh-huh. and they're, they're carrying out the themes of the play and, and there will be as I mentioned unison aspects parts that the kids have choreographed under the guidance of the choreographer mm-hmm. she's basically giving them assignments too that they're they're making original stuff they're also making their own costumes oh. all out of police bags I would say I got a bunch of all you know how Charles will gives everyone a huge roll of loose bags. <laughs> most people don't actually use them, so, so everybody's got in their garage a whole, you know, maybe years' worth of, of all loose bags. So I gave them, they're really actually quite family make and the fact that they can be inflated and uh, actually it sort of was inspired by a friend of mine who used some of light lights in a dance piece she did. Um, hmm. And so they're all working on making their own high fashion with these bags. It's pretty cool. It's not uh-huh. what they make. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I, I also want to mention that uh, in addition to working with them and the 
the kids on the messages. I have worked with, I'm working with Lighthouse kids, Lighthouse filmmakers. Oh, yes. Cover this, yeah, they're covering this whole process of making a documentary. Oh, wonderful. And they're great. They really yeah, are. Yeah. Well, these, yeah, these are really talented and experienced young filmmakers. And it's, um, we're just getting started with documenting it, but I'm curious about their point of view on it. And this whole thing is about amplifying children's voices, and so I don't want to see so much them talking to me and finding out what I'm thinking, but yes. more, you know, they're the eyeball, they're looking at all of this, and I want to know what their take is on it, and am I really asking good questions, or kids not that, you know, there things they'd rather say to adults? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you so, know. And, and then, <laughs> <laughs> that's not all, there's one more thing, and that's the, the water bottle creature that's going to appear in the play has been built by art students at Walker and engineering students at Buford. Yes. And that's the sea monster, really right? That's been amazing. Yes, the sea monster. Yeah. Made of all plastic water bottles that I got in the, the container at McIntyre Recycling and pulled out. Yeah. This is fun. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, so I hope, hopefully I've laid eyeballs on as many as and works with as many kids as I can possibly do. Well, uh, you know, artists. I'm not able to work with every kid Going back to Lighthouse uh, Young Filmmakers for a bit, a couple of years ago, maybe, uh, Dina Gould, who's the executive director there, um, she invited me over because to see, I actually, someone had won an award and I, interviewed him but um but uh, in addition to that she wanted me to see the work of her uh, students were doing for a water project okay like water bottles but only but it was a water project and i came to watch and they wanted to know as a professional filmmaker what i thought and i watched it and i said essentially what you were just saying i said you know i don't think it needs my comment i think this is a clear a specific POV that is yours, unique to you and this this group of teenagers. And I said I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing. I think it says what you want it to say. So I I hear what you're saying. They it, it's amazing when children of all ages feel that they can not only speak their opinion and and express their uh, their point of view, but that they're listened to. The creativity that we get as a result is always so wow you want to go why didn't i think of that or well, why didn't i see it yeah. that way you know do you have those yeah. moments still <laughs> i totally agree yeah i mean whatever i can come up with is usually limited compared to what my daughter for example she just has an amazingly connective mind i mean i i'm not terrible but yeah but you're very good she doesn't have anything. I mean, you know, she was writing on her bed and, and hanging things on trees sometimes she was too. <laughs> 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 she just doesn't see between any subject matter. And that's, that's just an example of what I see with all these other kids too. Sure. How old is she, your daughter? She's 11. 11. That's a great age. <laughs> so, um, in closing, we do we do have to go. We've talked about quite a bit. We did mention the Blue Ridge Juvenile Detention Center and Buford Middle School and Walker Upper Elementary School. 
And okay. I, we do want to mention again, I guess, that No Wake, of course, a multimedia performance piece opens March 17th at 7 p.m. at the Ixart Park uh, in downtown Charlottesville, Virginia. Runs Thursdays through Saturdays through April 16th. And the messages in bottles around the city of Charlottesville with the um, handwritten messages, anonymous messages from children. I think that's such a great idea. And you are so so focused on dance and physical movement, yet you're working with great choreographers. Have I left out anything, <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer? <laughs> well, Oh, you go yes, to yes. Website, you can get them uh, the bridge P A I, that's Paul Allen uh, interest. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that again. The Progressive Artistic okay. uh, Initiative, but give us the website again. Okay, the website to buy tickets is thebridgepai.org. Okay. And the tickets go on sale, actually went on sale on Monday, February 22nd, and the show opens on March 17th. How do, how do you, how long have you lived in Charlottesville? I'm just curious. Since 1993. Ah, because you certainly seem to have the pulse. years. Yeah, you have the pulse of, uh, of this city. And you've, again, I've always been impressed every time... I, I'm in a conversation about you or a conversation with you. I'm impressed with how you reach out to the community. Yes, we've established that today, but also to all the artistic disciplines. I like that when artists of different interests and backgrounds and talents come together and all of a sudden you find out we're all connected and how connected we are. Uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Hoyt Tidwell, playwright, artistic uh, entrepreneur extraordinaire, community-oriented, child-oriented, although her play No Wake is no child's play, but no children's play. It is a play for all ages. Any last parting words for us, Jennifer, so we know exactly what to expect, or or should we come and expect to be enthralled and, and our imagination and creativity peaked? I would say come with an open mind. Know that this is like nothing you've ever seen. And it's an outdoor performance, so no different than people, you know, putting blankets on and going to see a sporting event. But it's intentionally outdoors so that anyone can see it from a distance, and it welcomes everyone. There are free tickets available at every performance, first come, first serve. You can walk up to the box office at 6.30, and we want to see as many people as possible. Fantastic. That mm. Okay, I'm glad we got that in. I don't think we had mentioned that. Wonderful. My guest today has been Jennifer Hoyt Tidwell. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Jennifer. Thank you so very much for being on the show. And, of course, we wish you all the very best. Take care. Bye now. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. Another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. 
Few adolescents in the 1950s and 1960s emerged without experiencing The Catcher in the Rye. The tale of Holden Caulfield's escape from prep school became an essential read and revealed its elusive author as one of the more fascinating literary figures of all time. J.D. Salinger died in 2010. The first definitive biography of his life was published in 2013 with an accompanying documentary film. Both are titled simply Salinger. Shane Salerno, the young screenwriter of Armageddon, wrote, produced, and directed the documentary. Eschewing any show of objectivity, it unabashedly champions the mysterious Salinger as one of America's literary giants. The film provides fascinating insights into the elusive author making much hay out of Salinger's peculiar lifestyle, his World War II experience, his relationships with young girls, and his hyperfixation on secrecy and copyright protection. It also reveals that on a careful timetable set by the author himself, new Salinger works are scheduled to be published. It seems we may at last have long-standing questions answered and possibly get to spend more quality time with the Glass family and Holden Caulfield. But surely the more answers we get, the more questions will arise around the puzzling life and works of J.D. Salinger. Salinger, not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, here with my pets and pet peeves, hoping you'll join me in a wake-up cup of coffee. Beating the memory lane crowd. Now that turkeys shop before Black Friday, it's not surprising that some media personality shows are rushing into 2013 year-end memories before it's even Christmas Eve. Most of us know memories recapture us and replay in the twinkling of an eye, an aromatic breeze, a squeeze of the shoulder, or in the moment of that burned taste after a fire. Faster than a mouse-clicked link, you're back to that owl in the woods. First kiss, wedding day, first shared Christmas tree, or moment of silence. Memories take us back to rain on a tin roof, our car driving us the long way home, an uncle's cackle, fireplace crackling, an aunt's knowing smile, grandma's special homemade icing, barking dogs, parents independently slipping a few twenties into your palm, and there you are, back at the beginning of the roller coaster ride, inhaling all of a teenager's unknowns, smelling the sweets before tasting the bitter, the sound of the wind and the chilly feel of snow in our face, blowing hair backwards and propelling dreams forward. Imagine Utah, Colorado, and Virginia easing toward cuddling up to justice and equality for all despite some being drag-queened forward, kicking and screaming in their red boots. When friends share memories with me, I remember who, what, and why I celebrate in life. Mostly, it's lifelong friends, Lance and Pamela, Mercedes McCambridge, or newcomers, Boomy, Bill, Daniel, and Michelle. Chance meetings on the streets of New York City, like hailing a cab for Carol Channing, a chatty stroll with Colin Dewhurst, James Whitmore, and Tommy Toon, a gracious nod from passing Glenn Close and Tony Randall, quite literally running into Nathan Lane and Jack Lemon. Jane Alexander's thank you, an answered note from Julie Harris, telephone chats with Celeste Holm, book signing with Pavarotti, supervising Juilliard students during an invited-only rehearsal of Placido Domingo's Met conducting debut, and a moment backstage at Ford's Theatre with Rosalind Russell.
The point is not name-dropping, or tears during Oscar night memorials, or even how much I miss Peter O'Toole, who I never met, or Mom, who I'll never forget. The point is, every moment is a memory in the making, and every one a reason for celebration, and tis the season every day, in every way. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.